Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. People are helping folk in their local community because they can't travel. The one thing you're right about is the strap line when we come out of this is nothing will ever be the same. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host today as we talk housing, tax and tunnels and catch up with award-winning entrepreneur Lauren Lease. In the boardroom, Tom and Willie answer your calls and provide business insight and advice. You can get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Gentlemen, track and trace has been in the news. 35 billion. Willie? Good Unbelievable. <laughs> Absolutely not. How much did you say? 35, 35 billion. 35 billion as of this morning. That's what they're, they're, they're expecting now that their oh ultimate spend God. will be. Wow. Shambles, complete shambles. That, when, when the dust sells, we've said that in the last few weeks after COVID and where loads of light at the end of the tunnel, there has to be major inquiries into all of this procurement and the money spent. Well, talking of tunnels, it seems like no one's listening to you after last week's show because they're pressing ahead, surveying to see whether it makes a feasibility study to see whether it's going to work. I just I just can't believe this. All the talk for years and years about HS2, not everybody knew yeah. why, why it was coming about, why they thought it was a good reason. There's been nothing, there's been no dialogue about this. This came right out of the blue. Boris mentioned it one day, I don't know, about nine months ago, and uh, there doesn't seem to be any rationale whatsoever. They are saying now that may, potentially they cost maybe 20 billion. I think it could be 30 billion, 40 so, billion, the so usual. So, well, like, you, you know more about politics than I do. I, I don't get involved with politics, obviously. But um, it seems to me this is politics. It seems it's Westminster having a go at the devolved powers in Scotland and Scotland saying, oh, hang on, that's for us to decide. And they're saying, oh, no, it's a UK matter. And it just seems a childish spat. This is never going to happen because it doesn't make sense. Well, no one's ever put up a case for it and why it would be a good idea. But can you just imagine if you had 15 billion to spend in Northern Ireland and 15 billion to spend in Scotland, what you could do, what you could do with the economy we could really do with it after the fallout of COVID. But on this occasion, I, like Tom, I agree. This is about, you know, if you're talking about the potential of severing us and having a border, you know, down at Berwick on Tweed or Carlisle, then, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to connect you to the other part of the UK by putting a tunnel into Northern Ireland. So it's not about a vision creating a blueprint for the future, showing what we're capable of? Well, if it is, nobody's ever discussed it and nobody's ever told us. So I'd be delighted if that is the case. If somebody has a commercial argument for the tunnel, I'd be delighted to hear it. And if it stacks up, I'd be delighted to support it. But up until now, nobody knows anything. I think, to be fair, it completely blindsided the Scottish government. I think that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tom, you were chatting earlier before the show that you had a wee prediction to make on corporation tax. You want to share that and then we'll we'll be there for everyone to come by and see if you were right or not. Yes, yeah, so one of my business partners used to run the Inland Revenue Special Compliance, William. I'm sure you've never heard of them. And when I decided, when I had my first big sale, I wanted to stay in the UK. I didn't want to go to sunnier climes and avoid my tax. But he came and joined me from PWC then. And we were chatting through the budget. We've come to a joint prediction here, and I'll have a fiver with you, that the rate of corporation tax will not go up in 2023 because what I think is going to happen is those big companies who have maybe got provisions in their balance sheet will say, right, oh, we don't need them anymore. Let's get that cash out at the lower tax rate of 19. And therefore, guess what? The tax take goes up. And then just before an election, the Chancellor can say, good news, 
that tax is not going up anymore. Aren't we all clever? That's interesting, Tom, right? And we will have a fiver on it because I think <laughs> it's going to be the opposite. Oh, I think we disagree for a change. Yeah, well. I think he's going to bring it forward. Right, I think there'll be an incremental increase. He won't wait till 2023 when he sees the numbers, especially when they've paid the latest bills for the tracking trace and the tunnel in all the <laughs> islands. Uh, I believe that uh, corporation tax right. will be increased so, in 2022. Maybe not to 25%, but halfway. I'm the optimist and Willie is the pessimist. I think once the economy gets going and we're all allowed out of lockup, there's going to be the animal spirits are going to be unleashed and there's going to be a boom and the tax take is going to go up and he'll never need to move that corporation tax up. But you've heard it here, folks, on Go Radio. Fiver between Willie and I. You're on. Well, talking of increased tax takes, stamp duty, the relief on it, uh, extended till the end of June in, in England, but not in Scotland. And it stimulated demand and increased the tax take. Should we phase it out or make it permanent? I think this is another case where Scotland lags behind England, I'm afraid. As a business, we're looking to attract talent. Um, it's a number one job. It's Willie's number one job. It's my number one job. Attraction and retention of talent. And I think we discussed it last week with the increase in the tax, income tax, if you're a single person earning 50,000 in Scotland, you're going to pay £1,500 more tax in Scotland than England. So therefore, as an employer, that costs us more to attract that person. And then, if we agree, and some people don't agree, but if we agree that owning your own home is a good thing, to get on that property ladder um, I think it's a great thing to be striving to be a property owner. And it's easier in England than it is in Scotland. And that's not good enough. Willie? Well, I think if you are trying to get the go-ahead for another referendum and you want people to vote that you're better standalone, certainly when it comes to tax, we are not better standing alone. So if you want to convince people that things are better, then certainly when it comes to a, a, quite a few in the, in the tax packs, then we are definitely in housing as one of them. If I can just make a point, and I do have a vested interest, I'll put my hands up, we are developing Scotland's biggest housing development just outside of Edinburgh. So yes, I do want to sell houses, but the jobs it creates, Willies, the apprentices that are taking on in construction, the supply chain, the multiplier effect, getting the economy moving. Really, we can unleash this tomorrow. And if we look at the data, and all politicians are now talking about data, thank God they're talking about data, but look at the data. The data tells you this stimulated the economy. The tax take goes up. Let's Why, why muck about with it? Really? Yeah, I'd like to add to that. Before the electronic boom in fintech, you know, when everyone was about the markets, the barometer for how the country was doing was in house building. Right, back in the 80s and 90s. That's how we. That's how you gauged how the country was doing. And I think if we want to put the, the country right back in its feet, there should be a huge push to build more and more homes and create these jobs, create the supply chain, but more importantly, create all those jobs for young people as, as you know, bona fide real apprenticeships. Is this not a dangerous time for a housing boom? Historically low interest rates... Redundancies round the corner in many sectors. Are we not heading for a potential housing crash, Tom? Well, I mean, like every market, it has its ups and its downs. Um, the number one thing that drives the housing market is the availability of affordable finance. And in my prediction, interest rates are going to stay at historic lows for the next five, maybe even ten years, Willie. It's, it's very hard to see that far ahead, obviously. That's the number one thing. Therefore, there's a shortage. There's a shortage in the UK. There's a shortage in Scotland of decent homes. Therefore, let's unleash it. Let's get the people to work. It's not just about me selling houses. This is about the apprentices that Willie knows a lot more about. This is about the supply chain. This can be turned on tomorrow, Donald. Yeah, and I believe there will be a bit of a readjustment 
right? So I don't know about a crash, but at the moment, houses are in Scotland especially are selling well above asking prices. I believe that the amount of houses for sale is at a minimum. Most It's amazing when you drive by and you see a sign up for someone sale and you go by two days later and it's sold. I believe that some people are paying more than 20 and 30% for houses, especially standalone houses that have gardens. I think a lot of people, because of COVID, who have been maybe locked up in a flat or an apartment or whatever now are looking for, for new homes. So I, I think that that is added to the boom, but I definitely think there'll be a readjustment in, within the next 12, 18 months. Well, talking of housing, ministers in the UK Housing Department uh, have been told that they're planning to move 22,000 civil servants from their department to Wolverhampton. In effect, saying we're too centralised, we need to get outside of London. And if I bring it back to Scotland as well, are we too focused on the central belt? I don't think so. Um, it's good to spread out jobs, but again, you know, I think most of the government jobs would be in Edinburgh and surrounding districts, uh, although we may have a few offices you know, scattered about in the central and in, in the west. But I think it's, it's a good thing. I think especially in London, obviously it's uh, part of the Tory ploy to you know retain the red wall that they say. But <laughs> I, I think I think in Scotland that you know we we could look at that. I, I think the worst decision we ever made was putting the Parliament in Edinburgh and the problems that that's created for Edinburgh. I think we had a great opportunity there of of creating something new and somewhere around about Livingston where we could have built a brand new complex. You know, you've got two airports serving it. I think we'll put it this way: since they put the Parliament in Edinburgh. It's now an hour and a half to get to Edinburgh or back when it used to be 45 minutes. <laughs> Tom, do you agree with that? Uh, moving the Hollywood to Whoa, Livingston. My goodness, Willie, in a Sunday I'm not saying moving it. Originally, they should have been there. Um, I think, first of all, in terms of Westminster, yeah, I think moving jobs which can be moved out of London is a good idea, a very good idea. But I don't believe in falsely moving jobs you know, so I think Scotland is central belt centric and I think that's just the way it is. I think it would be harder to do in Scotland, but London is such a you know, it's a it's a, an economy all of its own, Donald. And if there's those number of jobs, I also saw some jobs are moving up to Teesside out of Westminster as well. So I think those are really good moves. I'm not so sure we can do it in Scotland. I once was at a conference where I heard the transport minister proclaim that the A9 was the financial spine of Scotland. <laughs> uh, I think I got up and left the meeting. Um, was he the, Labour or SNP? I won't mention which party, <laughs> right? I won't embarrass him. But Has that uh, been duelled yet? <laughs> well, we don't, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story about that. <laughs> I, had two, I had two American billionaires, property developers over here, and they were coming to give us ideas. These are the guys who, who reinvented Washington, right? right? When Washington was was, was completely run down uh -huh. and I brought these two brothers over here and I took them for a civic lunch to the city chamber anyway I decided to show them the MA in, in Glasgow right and they could not believe they could not believe that the two powerhouse cities in Scotland were only 40 miles apart they couldn't believe it I said this is fantastic absolutely fantastic and it's just one road and you're there so I took them on that one road. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. You got to Livingston. <laughs> We're coming back at night and he says, what, no lights? <laughs> there was no street lights. So not only is it not a triple carriageway, we don't even have light bulbs for a fair section of the M8. They could not believe that. But well, we might have a tunnel soon. <laughs> as long as it's got lights in, it'll be fine. Oh, dear. Coming up next, we'll be chatting to a brilliant young entrepreneur, Lauren Lease, who launched Four Delicious, an award-winning health food brand. Don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. 
Welcome back as we talk cookies and creativity with Lauren Lees, founder and owner of Four Delicious, an award-winning health food brand. Don't forget, if you want some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, Donald. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, we're delighted. Uh, looking at your website, that's a fantastic range of healthy snacks, including cookie buttons made with 100% natural ingredients, healthy and tasty. But I've got to ask you first, have you brought any in to share with yes, us? Yes, come on. Well, I've got a wee pack here for oh, everyone well, to enjoy. So, yes. Yeah, so. I think we'll be fighting over those. Especially at food bribes, yes. <laughs> it's been a success. But tell us about your business and why you started it. Yeah, so I started For Delicious. Um, we're an innovative and award-winning food startup um, based in Livingston. And we provide the UK's first low FODMAP certified gut-friendly snacks for IBS and gut health, which are also gluten-free, vegan and 100% natural too. Wow. So from a young age, I've always suffered from irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. It's a very common digestive disorder. It affects one in five people in the UK. And it actually costs the NHS system £45 million annually. So it's a big Ooh. problem. Yeah. Um, so I knew that diet was a problem for me um, and food was, was a trigger. And then after thorough research, I found that the low FODMAP diet um, is proven to be successful for IBS. So FODMAPs are a chain of triggers foods, which includes certain sugars and sweeteners, um, dried fruits such as dates, um, and also fruit and vegetables such as garlic and onion, and gluten and wheat and dairy too. Um, so I followed the diet and my symptoms really improved. And that's when I noticed that there was such a gap in the market um, for low FODMAP certified gut-friendly foods because I couldn't just go into a store and, and buy something off the shelf suitable for my diet. So I set out on a mission to create Four Delicious to help other people like me, and here we are today. Wow, great story. Incredible. Did you have any experience of relaunching or running a business before you did that and what did you do before Four Delicious to, to give you the skills Yeah, well before Four Delicious um, so I was a graduate of Queen Margaret University so I studied business management there um, so I graduated in 2016 thoroughly enjoyed the course and then Ever since I was young, um, I left school. Um, You're still young. Well, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but since um, I was about 17 um, and I worked in Pizza Hut and it was my wee school job. So, you know, I'd go after school and I'd work as a waitress and I did that throughout university as well. And then when I got into about my second or third year at university, I started doing shift management. So I would finish uni and then go into um, the Pizza Hut store in Livingston and I'd run the shifts there. And then once I graduated, um, Pizza Hut offered to fast track me to a general manager position right. in conjunction with my business degree and it was a really good opportunity. So I was 21 and I actually ran um, one of the Edinburgh City Centre um, branches Brilliant. and wow. I had a team of 25 people. I was responsible for driving sales, marketing, operations um, and ultimately the bottom line profit of the store. So it was a great um, experience of running a business and I was the youngest general manager in the UK at that time for the chain so yeah it was a really good insight and really grateful for my experience um, that I had at Pizza Hut there because it actually gave me the confidence um, to, to start for Delicious right, Can well. I just say there that this is a perfect example of getting paid for a working MBA and to any young entrepreneurs yeah. out there yeah. at that age, 18, 19, if you get the chance to do what you do, then you're you're learning on the job yes. someone else's money. You're not taking the chance, but I think that's fantastic. I, I was lucky, fortunate that I had the same sort of situation when I started working in the Middle East, but I think that's fantastic. No, learn by you. doing. Yeah, yes. learn by doing. doing. Great apprenticeship. Great, it is. It great story. Really good practical experiences. Yeah. It's just great. Yeah. Lauren, if I can take you back to early 2019, you won Scottish Edge as the highest ever award-winning food brand. How did that come about and how much of a difference has it made? 
So Scottish Edge has has actually been amazing to to our business. We actually won Scottish Young Edge first um, before we went on to win. Poor research on my behalf. Come on, Dory. (laughs) Need to up my game. Before the the, the big round. Um, So we won £10,000 on the Scottish Young Edge and that was was just a great opportunity. That was the first kind of big grant fund that we had won for our business. £10,000 is a lot of money. um, And and, and Lauren, how did you hear about it? Obviously, I'm interested to... So um, businesses here about age. Uh, well, Queen Margaret University um, are really, really pushing entrepreneurship. Right. And when I went back to QMU and, and told them I was starting my own business, they've done everything to put me forward for competitions. And right. it was actually through the university that I heard about Scottish Edge. Great. Um, so I applied and I went through to, to Strathclyde um, University and I met Evelyn oh, and right. applied for Scottish Young Edge and we went on to win. So, you know, excited about that. And then we went on to win the Scottish Big Edge. And, and like you said, we won £70,000 and that has made such a difference wow. to our business absolutely amazing opportunity for us to really scale up we were at a time that we had kind of a prototypes we had demand for our product through through testing the market and and we needed a cash boost to really take our business forward to, to the next stage and that allowed us to invest in tailored packaging it allowed us to give us a budget to to um, continually invest in new product development and and really give us a, a real marketing budget to to really put our products out there so it was fantastic um, and you know it's a big achievement and we also um, were a recipient of the Hunter Foundation Tom um, so oh. we, we won us a grant there when we started up and, and that helped us to fund our trademarks and things so really grateful for all of the support that, that well I didn't know that did. either Donald so um, you and me are in the doghouse this week <laughs> we certainly are aren't we <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so um, on top of the money from Edge has it helped you in any other ways, Lauren? Yes, the 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 support from Edge, the mentorship um, that you get from Edge. If I've got a problem, or you know, I'm looking for a bit of support, I was looking to know to know about you know one of the topics that we were looking for help with was R and D tax credits, and I right. thought, okay what am I going to do? Is there any other food businesses? So I reached out to Edge and that's where, you know, I found out about where to go for that. And there's just so much support and not just the support that you get from the Edge team, but also the people that you meet through Edge, other fellow entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur, you know, you're just by yourself. You've got a small team and sometimes it's great to collaborate with other entrepreneurs and you learn from each other. And it's like you said earlier, learn by doing and, you know, learning from each other and collaboration is just amazing amazing to, to scale. So any young entrepreneurs out there listening, there's a fantastic story. So get in touch with Scottish <laughs> Edge and yes. uh, we'll help you grow and grow your business. And again, that whole networking thing. So I, I think, Lauren, that you are a perfect example of what we've been talking about for weeks and weeks mm-hmm. about the support and the infrastructure that's there to help budding entrepreneurs. Yeah, there's a lot of support in Scotland's entrepreneurial ecosystem. And, and when I first started for Delicious, you know, it was a couple of years ago and, and I thought, you know, how, what am I going to do? I didn't I didn't know. But once you actually put yourself out there and you network and you build your 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 support um, around you, you realise how much support there is available in Scotland. And, and we've, we've managed to tap into that and access that to, to help get for Delicious to where we are today. Well, and you couldn't have made a better case. Willie and I are very... Very happy this morning. If we'd have got you on four weeks ago, they gave us a lot less to talk about over the last four weeks. (laughs) Fantastic. I'd be delighted to come on any time. It's a great story, Lauren. It really is. Fantastic. Well, you launched in two thousand summer, I think it was 2019. You launched Cookie Buttons Cocoa Crunch, which we'll get a wee taste of after the show. Easy for you to say, (laughs) Donald. I'll not attempt that again. How did the the launch go and what lessons have you learned along the way? Yeah, so we've had a lot of successes with our business. So our first route to market was the hospitality and food service industry. Um, And so we supplied breaks, food service. And, you know, that was a great way because our product is not only the UK's first gut-friendly snack, it also caters to all these diets. It's actually made in a a totally 
dedicated allergen-free site in Scotland. Right. So it's free from gluten, dairy, nuts, eggs, soya, wheat. So it's not just tapping into the, the gut health market, but also the food allergy intolerance market and vegan as well. So from a food service perspective, it's a great one-fit solution for special dietary requirements. So any hotels, cafes, and food service outlets that are looking for that gluten-free or vegan food allergy solution, it's a great option for them. So that was our first route to market and, and it was fantastic. We supplied hotels, universities, delis, cafes all across the UK. And then we export as well. Um, so export? Exporting already. So export was something I thought, oh, you know, I won't do that for a while. Um, but actually the demand for free from vegan gut health um, overseas is massive too. So the USA and Australia and Canada are huge wow. markets for wow. us. And it's just amazing. You know, our cookie buttons, um, we've got B2B customers in, in America and Hawaii. And I thought, oh my goodness, our <laughs> oh, wee wow. cookies are all across Hawaii already. And I thought, that's amazing. And then most recently, we were stocked with our cookie buttons in Lidl for their Veganuary promotion just, just this year. So we were across 100 um, Scottish stores by Lidl. And that was a great way to tap into a new market. So that was a good, that was a really good opportunity for us. Um, but challenges, of course, have, have, have came for all businesses. I learn something new every day. When I first thought of the recipes, you know, taking an initial recipe um, from, from your kitchen when you're doing a lot of product development and actually taking it to a manufacturing scale was something I, I never thought would be so um, challenging. But, you know, it's been great. And COVID um, has obviously impacted. It's been absolutely devastating to, to all businesses. Um, and for us, because we were um, our first route to market was the hospitality and food service sector, they all closed in, in March due to COVID regulations. So our sales were significantly impacted last year. And we thought, what are, what are we going to do? You know, um, we weren't quite ready with our product range to go out to the retailers. And that's when we actually pivoted to, to online retail. And, you know, the, the growth in online retail just now due to COVID is massive. And that's what we've been doing. So through Fodelicious.com, our website direct, our sales are booming and really pushing, you know, driving direct sales to our website too. It's been challenging, COVID, but it has made us very much more resilient been busy. as a business. My goodness. And can I, can I ask, Lauren, how many people you've got now? Well, it's just me. And it's just you. My mum. My mum's my business partner. Um, Does your we, mum do the deliveries to Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a job? <laughs> um, so my mum looks after all the e-commerce side of her business, her right. website. Um, she has her own business too. So she's very, very busy. It's an entrepreneurial family um, here, Willie. Yes, so it's very much family business. But we are growing our team and the Scottish Edge money is allowing us to do that. Right. Um, and we've got some exciting new products launching soon. So, yeah. Great. So what are the next steps then? What's your ambition for Four Delicious? So my ambition for Four Delicious is to be a market leader in the, in the, in the free from gut health space with our products. Like, like I said, we're, we're launching lots of new products to expand our range. And I'm really passionate about that to continue helping um, people like me who suffer from IBS to bring these products to market because I know how how much these products make a difference to people's lifestyles. And and like I said, online retail is, is booming now because of COVID, so that's definitely a focus for us going forward. So can I ask, who's manufacturing for you? So we've got a, a manufacturing partner, um, all based in Scotland, um, dedicated free from site, and it's just great. There's so much scalability, wow, and, and it's fantastic. Great, fantastic. You've been really successful. What key characteristics or traits do you think you have that have led to that success? I think... Um, now, come on now, don't don't be shy, tell us. <laughs> I, um, being an entrepreneur, you, you've got to be able to be adaptable, I think. You've got to be able to adapt to lots of different situations. Um, so, you know, there's so many different areas, leadership, sales, marketing, operations, finance, you know. And so I think that's one of the key traits. But... You know, you don't have to, to be an entrepreneur. You, you, I do believe you don't have to have 
studied business. You don't have to have that business knowledge. You can learn it. And, you know, I, I do believe if, and I say this to lots of other entrepreneurs, I speak at, you know, events um, for, for students. I've done a lot with Young Enterprise Scotland recently on supporting female boss and, and encouraging students to, to consider entrepreneurship as a career. And you can learn business. Um, Definitely. And if you've got an idea, you know, go for it. So finally, Lauren, what advice would you give somebody falling in your footsteps? Well, like I said, you know, if, if you've got an idea, research it and um, build up your support network. That's definitely helped me, you know, put yourself in Scotland's entrepreneurial ecosystem, Scottish Edge, etc. For, for the competitions, because even if you don't win, you'll build your network and you, you, you learn from it and try again. And it's just fantastic. So definitely put yourself out there, have the confidence to go out and grow your business and, and it'll be a success. Well, Lauren, I've loved hearing your story today because for the past 20 years we've been trying to help people just like you and you have really made us so happy today. <laughs> um, you talked about entrepreneurship being encouraged through university, one of the things we're, we're big on. You've talked about the great support of Scottish Edge. Willie and I big supporters of that. So it's just brilliant. Um, so yeah. love the story, continued good luck and Gears the cookies. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and you so much. Hopefully, we can get you on um, again in the future and when you can come and tell us about your world domination. Oh, of but course. But it sounds like a fantastic product. It sounds like people are taking to it. So, good luck. Keep up the, the hard work. Thank well you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Coming up next is the board you can't afford with Hunter and Hockey. Don't forget, if you want some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice, insight and inspiration. It's the board you can't afford. Don't forget, if you have any questions you want read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag gohunterandhockey. Gentlemen, let's begin by talking about what makes a great team. Tom, in previous weeks when we were chatting, you said you were more of a big picture person than a details guy. So what skills and characteristics do you need to create the right balance in your management team? Yeah, I think one of the big mistakes that entrepreneurs make is we sometimes hire people who look like ourselves. And I must tell you, that's a mistake. <laughs> um, you're looking for people who have got skills that you don't have. It's quite hard, you know, because some entrepreneurs, you know, think they're great at everything. Well, I've got news for you. Well, not. <laughs> so therefore, when I was trying to build the team in um, sports division, I didn't have the patience to deal with the big brands, Nike and Adidas, etc. I, I had to find someone who could take the time, invest the time in those relationships. I'm afraid I've got a short attention span, but at least I recognised it. And I had to find someone who was better than me at dealing with that. But Nobody was better than me at dealing with the strategy. So it's about looking at yourself, first of all, being very honest with yourself, and then coming up with your weaknesses. Willie, how did you manage to get your perfect management team? I think one of the big strengths of any good entrepreneur is knowing his weaknesses. And I would describe really good entrepreneurs as band leaders. And they 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 know the requirement they need across the orchestra, and everybody's got different skills. I think the key thing is is that a good size management teams maybe five or six key executives, and I think the, the number one thing is is you 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 get a sense that they're all on the same page. They understand what you're about. They know how you operate. Uh, they understand the culture of the business. That's important if it's not a startup uh, or if you're trying to create a culture. But I think that real good entrepreneurs see their weaknesses. Like you know, So mines would be in finance. So I really need a, good, I need a good finance guy. But I don't need a state accountant who just comes and tells you numbers. I like all of my executive team, whether it be in finance or whether it be in HR, that they've got a complete understanding understanding of the business 
So I could take any one of my guys tomorrow and put them across there and put them across there. I can move people about on, on the chessboard. But for me, um, is is finding the guys and, and every entrepreneur. I'm telling you, nobody has all the ingredients it takes to become a, to to create a successful business. And I think what you have to do is realise that early on and, and try and put the the pieces together. I mean, you get one offs. Donald, I was watching a programme about Elon Musk on Amazon the other night because my wife was watching the Harry and Meghan interview, so I wasn't interested was that in that. on the television this week? It seemed to be big news. I, I, I missed it. Um, and Elon Musk is a one-off, Willie. I mean, his imagination knows no bounds. When, when he talked about disrupting the rocket market, he is a rocket scientist, but that is a one-off. There isn't many like Elon, that's for sure. No, no, he is a unique character and, and history will, will testimony to that. I, I think that what he has done, and you're right about rockets, he never knew anything no. about rockets. And when all the experts that he'd hired, ex-NASA guys, all of this, couldn't get it right, he actually took his bed into the place where they were doing all the preparation work and he found the solution for how to get the you know the, the rockets to Mars and wherever. But I thought it was interesting what he brings to... Tom made the point earlier about, you know, it's not about saying no or not about saying you failed. I thought it was hilarious when the rocket landed last week and it landed successfully, but then it blew up and his comment was, we just need to work on the aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Donald, there was someone... We, we talk about disruptors. So there was someone who said, right, every time NASA launches a rocket it's scrapped so if you went on an airplane journey and it when you landed in Palma they blew up the plane that would be mental wouldn't it so he said why don't we recycle the rockets nobody had thought of that before mm -hmm. and it's brilliant but Willie's point is well made when he was watching his rocket take off and in the early days they blew up he just went okay got to learn for that it wasn't like oh no give up he had to learn from it yeah but he, he's unique he is absolutely yeah. unique but you know. it's a great there's a great book about Musk and it's a good documentary on Amazon about him as well for anybody's interested yeah well how do you manage that clash of perspective for someone who's got that big picture guy with a vision with somebody that's a detailed person well, the thing, the thing about Musk yeah. is Musk is very much a futurist. You know, when he when he got involved with PayPal at the start, he looked to the future. He certainly looked to the future with the whole green technology thing. You know, he's into solar, he's into the loop, all of this, his ideas. So I, I think it's, he would be an interesting guy to work for. Right, there wouldn't be a dull day, you know, and I don't think there's much detail. I think a lot of it is making up as it goes along. But to be fair, I mean, they're not stupid. They've got an idea about what they're trying to do. But he will try outrageous things. I'll, I'll give you an example. When he when he tried to come up with this idea of the loop, you know, the, 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 the pod Hyperloop, that would take yeah. you across LA or whatever, the Hyperloop, as Tom says, um, they said to him, well, in order to get researchers, you're probably going to need to put about $2 billion into this for startup just to do the research to see if it's possible. He put an advert out and he got 300 geniuses <laughs> to apply to work for nothing on the premise that if they were successful, they would all share on the upside. That is a true entrepreneur. I actually sat beside him at dinner one night at Dumfries' um, house and... Um, He's a bit of a hero of mine, so I was a bit kind of, oh, right, what can I say? I said, oh, it's your, your first time in Scotland, Elon. And he went, no, I, I was married here. He was married at Skibo Castle, Andrew Carnegie's home. So here was two of my heroes being linked together that night, Willie. Amazing. He's obviously a strong character. What advice would you give to somebody who was in that team trying to work with him? Because not everyone can be an Elon Musk. I think for a start, you have to be your full-on Right, he will be expecting you. You know, there'll be a lot of times when you're falling asleep on your feet. No, he is a guy. I bet you, he, I bet you, he's got no watch. Right, and probably well, like, um, my my niece um, married the guy who used to work with him direct, and his 
weekly catch up was Wednesday 3am yeah yeah no there'll be people burnt out everywhere trying to keep up with him you know um, and I, I think that the advice I would give people is you know try and hold onto the coattails uh, put some of the crazy stuff to the side you know stick you know stick to the vision and, and try and uh, catch an hour sleep now and again <laughs> You both said before in previous shows that everyone is different, so need handling differently too. When did you first realise that? And any examples of where you didn't get it right? Without naming names, uh, I, I could certainly give instances of where I definitely didn't get it right. And what I did in the early days was I, I tried to spot guys who I thought were entrepreneurs and they didn't know it. Right, I thought, this guy's an entrepreneur. He would be very much go-ahead, ideas and action guy, but wouldn't take a risk with his money. And on a couple of occasions, um, I got that completely wrong. Right, um, And also, I'd need to say, there's been a couple of times in, in choosing guys from my senior management team, my biggest, biggest fault has been when I've tried to bring someone from a PLC background into a private business and they'll feel miserably twice. Yeah, that's a good point, Well, I, I think um, the entrepreneurial businesses which Willie and I have built, you know, they are different from public company and I think I talked when we bought over Olympus, which was 10 times our size, and I, I really fully expected to learn from the board of directors. Well, they lasted 12 hours um, because they just didn't get it. It's a real shock. <laughs> We're going to our phone lines now, and first up is Jude McCorry, CEO of Scottish Business Resilience Centre. Welcome to the show, Jude. I believe you've got a question for Tom and Willie, so fire away. Hi, guys. Hi, Jude. Hi, Jude. Or hey, Jude. Oh, <laughs> Willie. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. No, no. <laughs> Do you think board members and directors should devote more attention to cyber risks in the boardroom? Well, that's a tough question. Willie? It's obviously becoming more and more prevalent, Jude, so I think that, that certainly more and more time will be discussed at board meetings. Uh, I know in my own business, certainly it's more prevalent than it was in, in previous years. So I think a, a straight answer to your question would be yes, more time I think should be um, spent in the board meeting talking about cyber risks. Yeah, in, in West Coast Capital, one of our big investment um, theses is, is in e-commerce, Jude. And um, e-commerce businesses are, are obviously more susceptible to cyber risk. And it's the number one risk that we talk about at every board meeting. Oh, that's encouraging. What's your view, Jude, then, about cyber security and de-risking it? I do, I do think that it should be brought into the boardroom, the conversation, um, and more so. And actually, that's really good that West Coast Capital is the one, number one conversation. We have seen a huge increase in cyber um, attacks in the last few months as well, probably because of COVID. And also, we had the SEPA attack as well, um, one minute past Christmas Eve. So these criminal gangs know when to attack organisations. But I just had this general feeling that not enough of the conversation has been brought into the boardroom. So would you tell us about, about your business? Um, so we are the Scottish Business Resilience Centre, uh, focusing on resilience on and offline. Um, and the main thing that we're working on at the moment is probably around cybersecurity because of the points that I raised earlier. Yep. Um, and we want to ensure that all organisations are getting as much education and cyber literacy, not just the technical people in organisations, but from board level and also employees as well, that we're not leaving ourselves open to these cyber risks. Yeah, Judith, it's, it's Tom here. Um, one of the things we're, we're actually looking at in um, West Coast Capital is investing in cyber security companies. Um, yeah. So we are, we're just in the um, exploratory phase of that, but the team at West Coast are really getting into the weeds in this, and it is frightening, and um, but also it looks like a great opportunity and there's been the big hack on Microsoft, um, probably yeah. by Chinese interests, which is just so scary. So thanks for bringing up that point because um, I, I, I wasn't expecting to hear about it today. So well done. And so, that's great that you're looking at um, investing in cyber as well, because I think that's a huge gap in Scotland. For We're very good at innovating. 
and we're very good at inventing, but we're not very good at selling because of the lack of investment. And if we can crack the innovation around cyber, we can work with the likes of Police Scotland and ourselves as well to try and be 10 steps ahead of the Chinese and the Russians or whoever's trying to attack us here this small country of ours. Yeah, so maybe you could just send me a wee email through the show and because um, I didn't know of your organisation, so oh, we're, keen to, we're keen to know more. Excellent. Jude, a quick question for you because SEPA took a hit yep. when it was hacked and they were offline for ages because they didn't pay the ransom. What would you yep. recommend? Paying the ransom and getting back online immediately or? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> we don't negotiate with terrorists. No, and, you know, it's a tough call and we have to applaud SIPA and the board and whoever made that decision not to pay the ransomware because it probably was the most painful decision to make whether you could get your system back up and running the next day versus months of pain. And they chose the months of pain because they wanted to do the right thing. And the more ransom money that's paid, the more we're fueling this criminality. Yeah, Jude, what I've found is that um, obviously we're dealing with some of the largest companies in the world, Walmart as an example, um, and the pressure that we're getting now from clients to make sure that our security, uh, you know, is, is, is top notch, is, is, is being powerful in the last few years. So I definitely think that you're going to be busy. Yep. Yeah, we, all, we also, if you know anybody, and if anybody's listening as well, we have um, an executive education program on them at the moment, and it's full now until October, November. But we have um, Professor Kieran Martin, who ran the NCSC part of GCHQ down south, and he's leading us okay. with some of our ethical hackers. And it's four half days for CEOs and directors to, and it's free of charge, um, to basically tool yourself up in everything cyber, not technical, but what you should know as a board director and as an advisor. So Jude, why don't you give it a wee plug? Is there an email address there that people can get in touch? If people can get onto the Scottish Business Resilience website and then they they'll see executive education under the education section, then they can apply for the course there. Great. Thank you, Thank you very much. And I hope more directors and board members will be thinking of the way that you guys do as well. Thank you. Great All right, Thank, Thank you. you for the call. Good luck. Bye. No problem. Thank you. Bye. Next up, we've got John Paul Riley, owner of JP Bathrooms, who's wanting to talk to Tom and Willie about homelessness and a business idea. Welcome to the show, John Paul. Hi, thanks. Great to be on. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me. So, homelessness is a big problem uh, throughout the world, and I, I think I've got a way to help solve that. Uh, after speaking to a few charities that deal with homeless people and doing amazing, amazing work with them, one of the uh, problems they find is that homeless people they get into a house and then they have nothing. They don't have a cup to have a cup of tea in, and they get to the point where they borrow money or they get into debt and end up homeless again. So I think a good way to help solve this would be to work in conjunction with the homeless charities and property developers, where property developers will work alongside the homeless charity and housing homeless people. One of the, one of the problems that they find with homeless people is when they get them into temporary accommodation, it's usually a hostel of some kind. And a lot of homeless people have alcohol problems, drug problems, and mental health problems. And if you're if you're a product of the environment, you're the average of the five people you hang about with the most. So if they're put into a homeless unit and they're surrounded by other people with these problems, it's not going to help their issue. It's going to compound it a bit. So if we could work with property developers, we could house them, and along with the support of these homeless charities. It could stop them becoming homeless again and providing a, a tenant who's going to be looked after uh, for the, the property developer. I was wondering whether she thought that was viable or not. Willie, what do you think of that? Hi, GP. Thanks for calling in. No problem. I was very impressed on the subject with the story I read about Lou McCary a few weeks ago. And it was absolutely amazing. I don't know if you've seen it, but Lou McCary, the ex-footballer, runs a homeless shelter down, I think it may have been in Stoke, and what happened was that uh, during COVID, the, they were all in one big warehouse, and it was the COVID restrictions meant that they had to, you know, separate them, and the people were all going to get put out of the shelter. And Lou was walking somewhere, and he seen this small hut, right? He called it a pod, a small pod, 
and he, he found that there was it was designed for one person, singular person to live in, and it was a bed and somewhere to sit, and it was it was nice. And he decided to find out more about it. And what he did was he went, he went back and he hired a, a unit and he found where to buy these pods. And he had 43 people in the in his homeless unit and he bought 43 of these pods. I think they were about somewhere about like maybe £11,000 each and I think he'd raised the money through charity events. But what was amazing, the thing that Lou learned about this, when he had all the people in the one unit, it was one address. And the difference it made to the individuals having their own pods. So just say they all lived at number two, Regent Place, but it would be like flat one and he had up to flat 46. And the difference it made to the life of the individual, the homeless person, was, was incredible because now when they went to the unemployment or they went to the doctors or they went to the bank, they had an address. Right, he says, and it was like day and night the difference and all he had did was take them from being in one big room, give them a small unit. So I think that, back to your question, if a developer, it's very, very difficult for a developer to house homeless people in a development that he would be doing. But I think if you're talking about, you know, the usual Section 75 stuff when you're paying money back to the council to help the homeless situation, I think that that is something definitely where developers could help with maybe how you raise the funds to buy the pods. Yeah, I'm aware of that. It was, it was a great story. And seeing that, it reminded me of, of, of the idea that I, that I have. John Paul, it's, it's Tom here. In, in the Hunter Foundation, we support a guy in Scotland called David Duke with Street Soccer. I don't know if you've come across, David. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we can put you in touch because we really believe in speaking to people who have who've had lived experience here. And it sounds as if you know a lot about this subject, and certainly David does. And David's had some big successes in this area so we're, we're happy to, to put you two in touch and see what you can do that would be awesome I'd really appreciate that JP can I just come back in this is a subject close to my own heart that I've been looking at over the last couple of years and if it wouldn't been for Covid I think I'd have been doing more at the moment I think it's an absolute outrage that we've got anybody in this day and age on the streets and I think it, surely it can't be beyond the realms of man here, the clever people, the business people here in the west of Scotland, that we couldn't get everyone off the street. Now, I know there is people who live on the street for financial reasons, and uh, but anyone who wants a roof over their head, I think that working together, we should be able to absolutely guarantee that. It should be a human right in this city. Well, I totally, I totally agree. And I, just for a small background to me, if I wasn't for family posting money through my letterbox when I was down and out I would have been one of those homeless people so mm-hmm. as much as I wasn't homeless I was very near to it and yeah. sometimes people just need a wee bit of support and they yeah. can go on and they can, they can start flying again yep you're right people need support and uh, are you happy with the messages from Tom and Willie there yeah absolutely awesome as always and listen good luck with your business as well yeah. JP yeah, much yeah. keep up the good work For all the details you need about today's show and information on how you can get involved and connect, visit thisisgo.co.uk. And don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Fed up paying increasingly high gas and electricity bills for your business? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We scour the market to find you the best deals possible. Just send us your latest bills and leave the rest to us. Our customers are hardworking every day businesses just like yours Clark Epos UK Limited call today on 01698 478 883 and start saving right now